Listener Production. Welcome along to episode 71 of the Howie Games Part B featuring Kate and Bronte Campbell. Their story continues. All right, now I'm taking on Bronte in the fan tales. What do you got okay. for us, Kate? Ready? Hands on the buzzer. Oh, competitive uh, one. <laughs> yeah, don't give me a fright. Born in Melbourne in 1968, she began her career as a child actress starring in the Australian television series Neighbours in 1885. Uh, Kylie Minogue. Oh, hi! Yeah, that's right. I'm <laughs> dominating the Campbell sisters. <laughs> Clearly we spent way too much time training. Can I just say, homeschooling, on... maybe not quite as effective <laughs> as you two thought. Can I just say that I was trying to think of her name, but all I could think of was Nicole Kidman. I was like, that's not right. <laughs> what was yours, Pete? I'm going to take Kate down for the second time now. I'm feeling confident. Right, she might actually get this one. Okay, that's hands right. on the buzzer, Kate right. Campbell. Because okay. we're not going to start at the beginning because the top of it's cut off. So okay. it's just going to say... An Australian film director, screenwriter, and producer. His first three films, Strictly Ballroom. Baz Luhrmann. Yes, Strictly Not good on the buzz, okay? Damn. I hope you're quick off the blocks, you two turkeys. I'm not. Kate's not. I'm so <laughs> no, slow. Not. I'm, I'm always slow. Hey, I just said to you as we were changing the batteries, can you please uh, <laughs> Don't make me cry on this podcast. It, it, it is an amazing podcast. We've moved through the Commonwealth Games. Unfortunately, we're only 60 metres into the 100-metre freestyle in Rio. You've turned yes. in front. We talked about the pressure of it. When you obviously had inklings, talk me through the last 30 or 40 metres, Kate. Um, I, I just remembered thinking, well, you got yourself into this mess, you're going to have to get yourself out. So there's time for that conscious thought? Yeah, it was It was more just like, all right, you're just going to have to do it. And I, I gave it everything. There was, I, I left nothing in that swimming pool. Um, but I, I hit the wall and I knew, like I, I knew I hadn't won. This is not clear cut at all. And it's going to be Manuel in lane three. Olympic record, Manuel. I knew that I hadn't done a good race. I hadn't executed a good race. And I just remember everything seemed to, like, slow down. It was like my world had ended and it had stopped. And it was dark and quiet. Um... It, it, it kind of like in, in those movies where everything else just kind of spins around you and you remain in the same spot. And then they blew the whistle and I had to get out of the pool. And I went and I did my post-race interview and I, I don't remember much about it. Then I walked through the mix zone and talked to the press journos. And then I made the long walk back down to the warm-down pool and... I could I could see my coach standing um, at the end of that pool and sport is really interesting because when you do well everyone knows what to do but when you don't do well People don't know what to do. And it was a long, 
lonely walk. And the first words I said to my coach, first words I said to Simon was, I'm so sorry, this isn't what I wanted for us. And he said, it's okay. And he just gave me a hug. And we didn't talk about the race. We didn't debrief. We didn't, he didn't say, this is what you did wrong. He just said, do you wanna go warm down? And at that moment, it was exactly what I needed because I knew everything I'd done wrong. And it wasn't what I wanted for us. It wasn't what I'd hoped to achieve. And I got down and I did my warm down and I got on a bus and went back to the Olympic Village. And one of, one of the kindest things I can remember is um, a few of the swimmers who had finished competing had stayed back in the dining hall so that I didn't have to eat dinner by myself. Um, and it was, it was Matt Abood who said, Kate, we've waited for you. Come and sit with us and eat your dinner. And there was something about that feeling of inclusion that when you do feel so isolated and alienated because everyone around you, when you walk, they kind of go quiet because they're not sure what, what they're expected to do. Um, that allowed me to eat my dinner and go back and get ready to get on with the rest of my week because I still had the 50 metres to swim and I was competing in the 4x100 medley relay as well on, on the last day. And it was, it's kind of those two moments of kindness, um, you know, the, the hug from Simon and then the few swimmers who waited back, this was at 3 a.m. in the morning, we're talking, to eat dinner with me. Um, that helped me move on with, with the next couple of days. And I think that I, I, I got back to my little room uh, in the Olympic Village with my leaky tap <laughs> and shower that didn't drain. Mm. And it was a moment of, of realisation that I'd hit rock bottom, that everything that I was afraid of going into that race had happened, everything. And I could, e I could either be a casualty of that event and of life and of circumstances, or I could move on because life moved on. My world ended when I touched that wall and I felt like it stopped, but actually no, life didn't care. You know, the officials didn't care. Everything else moved on. And apart from not going and being able to sing the national anthem on the top of that podium, like I have dreamed of since I was nine years old, apart from that, the rest of my night was the same. And I decided that I just had to move on. And I, I'm not saying that that's been an easy process. It's been a long time. And it's, as you can see, it's still a very emotional thing. Mm. Um, but I feel like I am a much better person for what happened in those 53 odd seconds. And I'm going to be a person a lot longer than I'm going to be a swimmer. Can I, can I just ask you two questions about what you said? You spoke alongside Bron. And I reckon it was your mum on Channel 7 with Mel McLaughlin. Mm. 
um, and you used two words that I remembered them when I was watching again last night. You said you're embarrassed and ashamed. And they were words that didn't make any sense to me <laughs> at all. Was that the heat of the moment? Is that how you were feeling then? Is that how you feel now? That was, sorry, that was not heat at the moment. That's what Kurt said to me straight after the right. race as well. Because I'll let Kurt answer in a sec, but I think her way of looking at that whole race is a uniquely big sister caring per- person way of looking at it. Because she was doing it for everyone else. And as soon as she finished, it wasn't even my dreams done. It's, I couldn't achieve this for my coach. I couldn't achieve this for my family. I couldn't mm-hmm. achieve it for my country. And when, when you're competing for your country, your country's supporting you, that's a fantastic feeling because you feel like everyone's on your side. But when you feel like you're the only one representing them, then you have the whole weight of a nation on you. And it's, um, it depends on the person as to how they view it. It's, um, Kate shouldn't be having to do things for other people because she already tries to do things for other people. So when the country's saying, you need to go there and win this gold medal for me, that is, probably the most uncomfortable way to go into winning something. If, if you said, Kate, you need to go win that gold medal for yourself, mm. you'd be like, okay, great, I can do that. But um, I need you to win this for me is, is it's too much for someone that actually cares about other people. <laughs> but, and that's why, Bron, I didn't understand embarrassed or ashamed because from the outside, you had nothing to be embarrassed about. You had nothing to be ashamed about externally, nothing at all. But obviously that's the way you felt. Yeah, and it's probably how I still feel a little bit. I've, I've definitely come to terms with it. Um, but I, I, yeah, I, I still do. I still see it as this, this big thing that I, I should have been able to do and I couldn't. Um, it's, it's, it's much, much less now. Mm. And I've, I've learned a lot um, about myself. And actually, the response of, I would say, 90% of people has helped me get over that fear um, because everyone who everyone who I cared about didn't care and just wanted to make sure that I was okay. But actually the, the, the general public were a lot more generous than I think that we give them credit for. I think that, um, you know, the, the, the bad headlines and, and the bad tweets get a lot more airtime than the good ones and overwhelmingly there, there are more good ones. There were bad ones, don't get me wrong. Um, I, I had to get my management to, you know, sort out my Facebook fan page because there was some horrific things that, that were said about me and people would come up to me in the street and be like, oh, just couldn't quite get there. Or, oh, thanks, I lost some money on you in that race. And wow. um, all not great things when, when you're already not feeling good about it. But overwhelmingly, the people came out and said, we're so proud of you. And at the time it was so opposite to what I was feeling that when someone would say, I'm so proud of you, you did so well. It, in, in my head, it was like, you know, when someone drags their nails down a chalkboard and it's that really grating sound that kind of sets your teeth on edge. And because it was so contrary to how I was viewing myself. But over time, I begun to see that it is a big achievement to make an Olympic Games. It's a big achievement to stand an Olympic final. And yes, it didn't work out that time, but it took courage and determination and a lot of hard work to put myself in that position. Because it's one of life 
life's great ironies is that the only place where success is possible, failure is also possible. So if you're not willing to put yourself in a position where you're going to fail, you're never going to succeed. And I don't think that I saw the value in that before. So the obvious question is, and one of the best things about this show is we have so many kids listening, that these days it seems almost we don't let our kids fail. Mm. What have you both learned from not winning or in your sport from failing? I've learned that it's okay to make a mistake. Um, I, I'm very much a perfectionist and, and I, I want people to see the best version of me or, you know, if, if I show them something, it'll be, you know, the best, um, the best thing that I've done. And I think that social media is um, really bad with that <laughs> because we present like our best versions of ourselves and it, you know, even if someone posts a bad photo of themselves, it's their best bad photo that they've taken. <laughs> so we don't actually get to see real life anymore. And um, it's, you know, you get the most likes for, you know, the nicest picture you post and that makes you feel good. So for me, it's been going away and trying things that I'm really bad at. You know, I went skiing and, um, you know, I, I, I go on hikes and I, you know, attempt to play other sports and I get used to being bad at things and being okay with being bad at things. Hmm. Um, and recognising that there's value in going and giving things a go, in going and trying something. Because lots of people, everyone has great ideas or everyone has these big aspirations, but very few people actually go and act on them. And if you act on them, you're one step ahead of the person who just thought about it. And, you know, they don't look like a fool, but they also didn't put themselves in a position where they could have done well at something. Yeah, I think same. Like, infinitely more you learn from from failures than you do from success. I think for me, it's the, the fear of failure should never be a barrier to trying and um, vulnerability isn't weakness. Vun- vulnerability is, is, a, is a way of showing that <laughs> you're okay to be up there. Um, after Rio, it was an interesting thing because people were obviously, could be very harsh, but <laughs> I ended up becoming quite <laughs> Stonian response they'd be like oh you know like she just couldn't get there and I was like sorry what do you do mm, I like it sorry have have you ever tried to do something and that's um that's a very arrogant thing to say I wouldn't say it now it was just in the aftermath of it because to put yourself in such a in such a vulnerable situation shows incre- incredible courage just to be there but for, from from failure I've, I've learned that it's not it's not the end there's, there's no such thing as a full stop to your life. It's, um, it's a comma, <laughs> if you let it be. I want to finish with one more question to you about swimming then talk about what else you're up to in life because you're far more than swimmers. There's a lot goes on in your two lives. Maybe even a chat about poetry, Bron, which mm. is not my strong point, but uh, <laughs> that could be the most awkward part of this view. Um, so what is the perfect result in your swimming now. Bronte, we'll start with you. What's what's the dream that's getting you out of bed and dealing with the pain now? What, what do you, Can you actually put it out there, what you yeah, want? Yeah, 100%. What I want is I want to be standing up in an Olympic final and swimming my best ever race. And that, that's all you can expect. I want it to be the best race I've ever done in my life and I want it to be in the time that matters the most. And after that, 
then there's a result, but that's not part of my goals. So it's the process, not the result, which we hear so much from You hear it athletes, a lot. You hear it a lot. And people say it a lot, but it's um it's hard to actually believe it. It's, and it's not like before Rio, we'd never heard process, not result. Everyone says it's all about the process. But it's so right. It is It is so right, but it's, it's hard to feel that in the moment. It's also not the response that people want. No, no, even, I, <laughs> you know, I know, I know I've like, heard oh, that you answer. Know, don't, 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 don't be a wuss. Go out and say you want to win gold. Like, of course, I feel like that goes without saying, but that's not helpful. You you know, the, there are so many steps yeah. that take to winning that gold medal. And just by saying I want to win it doesn't make me want to win it any more than I do if I say that I want to execute. And you can only win that by executing your best race. And they say, they say, oh, but you've got to believe in yourself before you do it. You're like, I don't believe until the cows come home, but that doesn't get me up at four o'clock in the morning. It's funny you say that because, <laughs> because me with a microphone, I don't want to hear about structures and processes. It does my head in. But now me as a dad with a nine-year-old and a seven-year-old, if it's school athletics and they want to win and you see them getting... If you, if you can, that's what you go back to. You go to, hey, yep. if you run as best as you've ever run, then that's all you can hope. And it's so cliched, but it's so true. It's so, so true. It's so cliched, but it's also, in, in a moment of extreme pressure, the hardest thing to do is your best ever performance. Yeah. The hardest thing to do is not win. There are people, that sounds ridiculous from someone who's never won um, an individual Olympic gold medal, but... There are people who have won Olympic gold medals whose that was not their best performance mm. on the day. Most people in an Olympic final perform sub what they are capable of, but everyone's at that level yeah. and, and someone ends up winning. Um, but I want to be the person that can stand up and do their best ever race on the day that matters the most, and that's probably the hardest thing to do. And the result is, in a way, not up to you. It's up to you plus seven other people yep. in your race but it, it's, it's not even what it's about that's in Rio it was such a weird thing because to me it was for me to come forth in that race for me to even be in that race was like fantastic I couldn't believe it and then everyone's saying oh why didn't you win basically and it's like this is not it's not even what this is about it's, it's about trying to win it's about standing up behind the blocks and every single person's trying to win. It's, it's about the grind to get there. That's what everyone wants to watch. Everyone wants to watch everyone strive to win. Only one person gets to win. And if all you were watching was one person winning over and over again, it's, it's not that interesting. But watching people give their all to win, that or give their all to strive to win, that's what it's about. So I don't even know what the question was, but... It's <laughs> a good answer. It comes all the way back to what we were talking about, James Magnison, with that one, one, hundred of a second. What about you, lazy bones? What's your... Uh... <laughs> Get, get over my iconic laziness. Yeah, I, I, it's, it's going to be very cliche, but like Ronty said, it's to, it's to execute that perfect race in the moment where it matters most. And, you know, I've been competitively swimming on the world stage for 10 years now, and I could say I could count on my two hands mm. the number of races that I've hit the wall and I've thought... That was it. And, and, and there's something about that alluring feeling where you've gone as close to perfection as you're humanly possible, as you're humanly capable of, because perfection doesn't exist in any form in this world. But if you can get as close as possible, 
that there's something about it that keeps you going back for more that that keeps me wanting to get up in the morning that that keeps me pushing in in those last hard sets in training where your mind's your body's saying you can't but your mind is like yes you can and to execute that when it matters most is a very very rare thing and i think that i've i've only achieved that once or twice in my whole swimming career to get it both together the perfect race at the perfect time you can get you know a good race at a good time mm. or you know um or you, you swim a great race but i'd admit that it doesn't matter but to get those two together that i i think that if i if i could do that at an olympic games i could hang up my togs and be happy and walk away from my career back to kate and bronte in a moment the howie games library Going pretty well now. We've got 70 episodes in the can. Go back and have a listen to some of them, ones you may have missed. Hopefully we'll give you a surprise or two along the way. Alrighty, back to Kate and Bronte. So a really tough question, which this show doesn't typically do. What are you doing or what have you done mentally that if you're in that position again, say Tokyo, that'd be the next Olympics, that what happened last time doesn't happen again and how are you going to shut that out of your mind that it happened last time it's a brutal question it is and there will always be that fear because you're in a position where you're vulnerable and and fear is a natural response but i had spent so much of my life um seeing value in myself through the eyes of other people and often to do with my swimming achievements um, that I've kind of had once once I hadn't achieved things and people still saw something in me, I was like, oh, maybe there's a little more to me than, than the person in, in the swimming pool. And so I've stepped back and I've, I've kind of, I've identified some key values and, and things that I can take into any situation that are not outcome dependent. So when I went into Rio, my self-worth and my value in myself was dependent on me achieving a goal, um, which was an Olympic gold medal because that's what everyone else wanted from me. And that's how I saw value in myself. And there was only one way to do that was to win. But now when I go into any situation, what do I value in myself and what do I value in other people? Um, I value kindness. Am I kind in every situation that I go into? Can I be kind to the people on my team, to my competitors? Um, can I be kind to myself? Um, I value bravery. Um, I, I look around and, you know, someone like Taria Pitt and all of the adversary that she has faced and she's incredibly brave. I, I look at my parents and, um, you know, they're caring for a disabled child and they're helping to raise two Olympians and they're incredibly brave. Can I go into a situation and will I be brave? And standing behind a starting blocks at an Olympic final is one of the bravest things you can do. And honesty. Am I honest with the people around me? Um, if your butt looks big in jeans, I will tell you. I'm a very good person to go shopping with. I reckon I'm okay then. <laughs> um, uh, am I being honest with the people around me? Are they being honest with me? And am I being honest with myself? And those are three things that I've identified that I value both in other people and in myself, and I can take them into any situation. 
I can work on them in any situation. And whether I win, lose, draw, if I can value myself and I can look back and I can say I was true to myself in all those key three things, then I can walk away happy. What are you doing out of the pool at the moment, you two? <laughs> out of the pool? Yeah. Um, what am I doing out of the pool? We're both studying. Right. What are you studying, Brian? I study um, business with a PR major, or we're about to start studying down here in Sydney. Right. Actually, I found out in like two days whether I get accepted into uni. So I think whoever <laughs> Good is luck doing to me. <laughs> um, will listen to this and you'll be straight in. Um, and Kate's studying a Bachelor of Communications, which we're, we're both almost finished, hoping to be done by 2020. Um, that's what's keeping us busy um, work-wise outside of the pool. And then exploring Sydney is the next big thing to do. I came straight here from the dive shop to go get some dive goggles. We've been cool. trying to dive with my swimming goggles and they're just not quite cutting it on the clarity front. Um, when you're underwater, you need, you need the proper goggles. So. Poetry? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that too. Was that the answer you wanted? No, no. no. I just, <laughs> it's just an interesting pastime. It's almost an old-fashioned pastime, writing poetry. It is an old-fashioned pastime. It's um, oh, something I've always done. I've always written a lot. Um, I don't necessarily journal. I used to when I was a kid. But, but writing's been always a way I make sense of things and understand things, and um, I love doing it anyway. So, yeah, always, always doing that. I always write um, something for the team, so I've been doing that since 2013 and the last meeting we have before we go in, I read it out and it's always about the meet that's just about to begin and what that feels like for me, which ends up being what it feels like for most people because mm. we're all in the same boat and I like being able to put words to it. It's, it's a huge comfort to me and then it's, um, it's nice to share it with the rest of the team, I think. They get something out of it too. Do you recall any of your poems? Have you learnt any of your poems? Have you memorised any of your poems? And would you be prepared to recite any? Um, maybe. Let me check if there's one on my phone because okay. I don't think I would have remembered them. You, you have a look on your phone while I ask Kate the same question. What are you up to? You're studying communications. I am studying so communications. Do you want to work in the media or? Um, uh, I'm, I, I'm interested in it. I find it really engaging and there's something different every day. I think the idea of going to a desk job where you sit behind a desk every day and everything is the same. I just, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Mm. Um, I don't know what I will do once I have to get a real job. Um, I'm hoping that a few people will be kind and let me try a few things before I have to make that decision. So it, it, it is something that interests me. Um, and apart from that, I've, I've, started getting into hiking um mm. so i've done done a couple of sort of long long hikes in, in brisbane but um we're very i'm very close to the national parks um uh in northern sydney so um yeah it takes me 20 minutes to go um and walk around some bush trails and and things like that so i and i want to learn to surf i hired surfboards for the first time yesterday how'd you go look I can catch the waves. Standing up is still a bit of a struggle. I, I can stand up for a little bit and then topple over. But yeah, that's I I, I want to make that a goal for for the year is to get a couple of foamies and do some surfing. I'll show you something here to see. Kate is six uh, foot one, so if we're yeah. gonna get up on a surfboard, is <laughs> um uh, it's a side. Okay, I'll now show you the big penguin in Noosa. This is what you're looking for. Oh my gosh. That's so much better than I was. She's surely going for it. I 
Oh, that's <laughs> a proud father showing uh, the girls. Surfing is great. Time. I need to surf more now that we're down here near the coast as well. Yeah, so. great spot to learn to surf here. Talking yeah. about hiking, when you get some time in your busy life, the three capes in Tasmania. Ooh. Unbelievable. Okay. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Hey, just on the journalist before Bronte tells whether she's going to read one of her poems under no pressure, um, <laughs> what do you... What do you like or dislike in that situation when you're dealing with the media, whether it's a clown with a microphone when you've got out of the pool or facing the print journos after you've done well or not done well? From your perspective, it would be interesting mm. to hear what it's, you like and what you don't like. It's interesting because people say, oh, you know, you not only have to swim the race, but then, like, you get a microphone shoved in your face just after you. Yep. You're still panting and gasping for breath and probably still trying to come to terms with it. But the way that I see it is... I love the post-match interviews. Right. Because... She means I, of other people. Of, 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 of other people. Yeah, okay. Um, I, I, I love watching it because it, it's, it's, it's one of the few times in life where, you know, everything is, is out in the open and, um, and you get genuine reactions. And, I, you know, after the tennis, I love watching them and, um, you know, uh, if there's athletics on. So if I love watching them, I can't resent having to do mm. them. Um, and look, there are the very generic questions. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think I particularly find it hard when we both get out of the pool and the journalist goes and turns to Bronte and says, oh, how do you feel being beaten by your sister? Mm. And nothing sets my teeth on edge more than that. Um, and, you know, Bronte gets it as well and that's I get it all the time I used to get this is my favourite question which was not from favourite with sarcasm um, not from journalists only but from members of the con, um, of the public was so when are you going to beat your big sister when are you going to win Do you, are you ever tired of coming second what's it like to always be second best and people just random people on the street would come up and ask you that which is just it seems like such an insensitive question to ask someone but I understand why they want to know the answer and the answer is you're not always second <laughs> yeah, I, eventually yeah. you win it's, it's sometimes difficult that, that after pool situation and, because and it, it happens hard. so quickly I, I don't know I think um, what would I know it's a massive difference if you smile at mm. the athlete how much of a difference it makes because I, I look around what others are doing because you know especially at an Olympic event you're doing 15 interviews or at a Grand Prix when there's 15 blokes to interview Lewis Hamilton a smile can make an enormous difference I reckon it's about making that connection yep. with them and in such and a short period of time in such Kate. a short period of time but if if you can, and it helps if you already have a relationship yeah. with them. Um, yeah, I'll probably know the journos, so. But also, I think just, just being sensitive, you know, trying to, a bit of empathy goes a long way. Trying to put yourself in that person's situation, whether they, if they won, they're ecstatic. If they have done a bad swim, they're obviously disappointed. How can you correctly help that person convey what they're feeling. What questions can I ask you or mm. what questions w would I be able to be asked that would help me adequately tell you exactly how I'm feeling? And I think those are the people who do the best sort of post-race interviews. I think empathy is a massive thing that we seem to have lost in society. The other thing that makes me grind my teeth is if you've got out of the pool and you haven't swum the race you're after, 
I would hope I would never say to you, you must be disappointed. Oh, yes, I, got that a few times. I, I don't get that question. To me, the yeah. question is, how do you feel about your race? Yeah. You're yeah. the one that's lived it for four years, yeah. so you know. So for me to have the arrogance to say you must be disappointed makes me grind my teeth as well. Yeah, yeah anyone telling you how you must be feeling yes. is, is always, it doesn't matter what situation no. you're in, anyone telling you must be doing this, you're like, but I'm yeah. not. <laughs> Even if you are, it makes you want to say, but I'm not. How dare you know what I must be have doing? Have you found something for us on your phone or not? Oh, I did find that there is one on my phone, which is quite lucky because um, there's not normally, but um, this is the one that I made up for Com Games. Are you happy to read it? Sure. Okay. All right. It's called The Will of One. In the space between two breaths, a baited flurry of blurry lights and water pulsing in crystal depths and heart rippling towards the fight. And doubts crouch in the corner where vines grow wild in the mind, but every minute makes you surer, years of work on which to climb. And voices raised in a mighty roar, the circus crowd stamps its circus feet and bends and shakes their metal floor, but shakes not the stillness underneath. Carried on their breath-filled cries, <laughs> a dream you felt first in the dark, a flame that flickers but never dies. Dreams begin where fear departs and blends and bends into the scene where fortune raises her sleepy head and heart and sweat and muscle screams. Here we laugh at trials bends. And in the end, when iron eyes turn, gasping at the race they've run and dreams and fears equally surprised, the power of many fused with the will of one. Outstanding. Thank you. It's how we end all our pre-competition meetings. <laughs> how long does something like that take to formulate in your mind and end up on paper? Not long. I mean, that one was probably all in one go, like 20 minutes just done. And wow. sometimes it's it's one idea or one verse, like maybe the last verse of that was the first thing I wrote and then you backtrack off it. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's normally in... A, I normally write them like on aeroplanes and still moments when, when there's nothing else going on and we don't, we don't do that very often where you're not stimulating yourself and it's when you're doing that that you get um, the chance to reflect and inside and that's normally when I'd write it but it, when, when, you, when you're in the right moment and you're in the flow it, <laughs> it doesn't take long at all but um, yeah if you're looking at Instagram you're never going to write it <laughs> Can I say, after the 3 nil fantail decimation, I put you 3-2 to that I thought homeschooling, no. Just listen to that poem. All of a sudden I'm thinking maybe homeschooling <laughs> early doors has got some absolute advantages before I let you both go. And I'll tell you in a minute what I've thought of this chat. Um, I said we're blessed to have so many kids listening. My kids listen. I know so many kids listen with their parents um, and talk about it and hopefully take something from it. I'll start with you, Bron. What do you think is the key to success for kids in sport? Um, I think, and actually that's mainly what the poem's about, is the fear of failure should never be greater than the dream. And the dreams and the fears live together, of course they do, but it's, um, it's never, the fear of failure should never stop you from trying. And it should, it should always be there because that's how you know you're about to achieve something. But 
the, the last thing is you want to be thinking before you do anything is, is what happens if I fail. It's, it's always the what happens if, if, if I do well. That's what you want to be thinking. So positivity and not, being af- not, not even being afraid of the fear of failing um, because it has to be there. Don't be afraid of race day. Race day is an opportunity. <laughs> that's, that's how I think of it anyway. And um, that's been something I've, I've learned for a long time. Um, and maybe kids naturally have that anyway because they've got a lot of up and go get in them. But um, that's probably been my biggest lesson throughout my whole career is, is, is it's every race day is, a, is an opportunity for something great. Um, I would say love it. Find find the thing that you love um, and it helps if you're good at it as well and you tend to love the things that you're good at. Mm. Um, I think I've been so incredibly lucky to have done the sport that I love and I really do. Um, I, I, I don't love every day at training but in general I, I love the people around it. I love uh, the experiences that I've had and if I had my life over again, I'd do it all the same. If we could have a different life, it'd be very different. But I don't have any regrets. And, you know, how, how many people can say that they get to go and do the thing that they love and do it on a world stage? And it's, it's pretty rare. So uh, my parents, our parents were very good about we were only going to do swimming as long as we loved it. So we, we didn't take any scholarships to any private schools because... They said, well, we wouldn't be able to afford the tuition if you weren't swimming and we don't want you to feel like you have to swim. Mm. We want you to love it. Um, this is your dream. Whatever you put in, we'll put in. And if you're willing to put in 100%, we'll put in 100%. And we did and we loved it. And it's been a great journey. There's been highs and lows, but you need highs and lows and we for a roller coaster. We, we still, still do. It. We still do. Um, I get an enormous amount of feedback, which I'm blessed with this show about people say, I love this episode, I love that episode, and I come out from some episodes think, yeah, I enjoyed that or uh, didn't enjoy that or that blew my socks off. This has absolutely blown my socks off. Um, You guys have been fantastic. Well, I didn't have any on Bronte or looking because I got thongs on, but um, your honesty has been amazing. Um, You're both very, very cool cats. No good at the fantail competition, but everything else, very, very good. Hey, good luck moving forward, whatever it may be. Um, with injuries and fitness and health and life and poetry. Um, you guys rock. Thanks. Thanks for having us. It's been great. Thank you so much to Kate and Bronte for trusting the show to tell their respective stories in such a meaningful and frank manner. What rock stars those two sisters are. Good luck to them both going forward in all areas of their life. Thanks to Darcy Thompson for putting this episode together. Nice job, horse. And keep an eye out for episode 72 on Thursday, July 18. Until then, peace and love. And we can do it if we try, try, try. If we try, try, try If we try, try, try Listener